0: Hello and welcome to the NFL Blitz as we review week nine of the NFL season and of course it was a week in which the stories off the field sort of took precedence over the stories that was on the field. It turns out that quite a few people in the NFL are absolutely bloody doolally and we're going to be talking about that. Obviously we're going to be talking about what's happened but as fans of the league we love on the field drama, off the field drama less so and there's been a lot of that this week which is, you know, great, love it. But there is still a lot of good football to go into and we will be going into that as well, don't you worry. Welcome to the show today, I hope you're doing well, I hope this podcast finds you in good health as per usual Remember to go to anchor.fm forward slash the NFL Blitz to find out where you can play this podcast. You can also play it there, or you can keep doing what you're doing. And remember to go to the Sports Blitz website for writing about the NFL and other sports, including the Week 9 Power Rankings, which are already up on that website. If you're a fan of long URLs, by the way, the sports Blitz blog.wordpress.com. But honestly, just Google the Sports Blitz. You will be able to find it. So you'll notice this is being uploaded on Saturday and that's because I once again had some struggles with illness this week and a sore throat. So I've not been able to record it as fast as usual. So hence it has to come out on Saturday. Now we will only be talking about week 9 of the season. There has already been a game from week 10 obviously and the rest of the week 10 fixtures are tomorrow. But we're not going to talk about them because I want to make this easier to look back on in the future. So, if this was week 9, oh, and one game from week 10, and then next week was week 10, oh, but not the first Night Football, then it would be a bit more confusing in the future. So, it's just easier to focus on week 9 in this episode and then all of week 10 in next episode. Though I will give a spoiler for how week 10's first Night Football went. Oh dear. It was quite funny, but like I said, we're focusing on week nine in this podcast. Also worth pointing out is the fact that for the first time ever, we get to say that we are halfway there. We are exactly 50% of the way through the season, or we would have been if this was uploaded before Thursday Night Football, because obviously... Since I've been following the NFL, we've had 17-week seasons, regular seasons at least. And so there isn't an exact halfway point, but now it's an 18-week season. There is an exact halfway point. I don't know off the top of my head if there would have been a case before where the season had exactly an even number of weeks. I, I know back in the day, there used to be two bye weeks. So maybe... But I I can't say that for sure, but for the first time in a very long time, I can at least say this for sure, for the first time in a very long time, we are exactly 50% of the way through the season at the end of week nine. So that that was quite a cool thing to note for me. And we're going to start off, we're in the only place we really can this week. Last week we started with Henry Ruggs, and this week we have to start with Aaron Rodgers, because it turns out Aaron Rodgers is a bit mental. And joining me to talk about how interesting his thoughts are is Will. Hello. Hello, hello. It is very good to be back on the show. And I would not miss this for the world, frankly. <laughs> 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 Who would want to? <laughs> Last week, we found out that Aaron Rodgers was going to be missing the game this week against the Chiefs, which we'll get on to later. But... It turns out that the reason he's missing the game is because he's unvaccinated and when asked to talk about his vaccination status on the Pat McAfee show he didn't hold back no do you do you want me to read the
1: transcript
0: of how this all began? I absolutely do
1: All right so he comes on the show uh you know gets gets seated the floor by Mr. McAfee says ah good water drink this is gonna be long and then Anna rogers starts by saying, I realize I'm in the crosshairs of the woke mob right now, so before my final nail gets put in my cancel culture casket, I would i think I'd like to set the record straight on so many of the blatant lies that are out there about myself right now.
0: Just showing the shovel before he starts <laughs> to plant it in the ground and, and start digging. Yeah, there's...
1: I mean, that is impressive.
0: There, there, there is so much in there. He, he claims he didn't lie in the initial press conference. We talked about this last week when he said, I'm immunised against COVID, which means precisely nothing. So, yeah, he, he didn't lie in that press conference, but, you know, he didn't say anything. He might as well have just gone, yeah, COVID exists to answer the question from the reports, because he didn't mean anything. And then he said there was a witch hunt going on across the league about vaccination status. It's almost like, and bear with me, Avon people want to be safe or something bizarre like that. Can you imagine? My favorite- well, I mean,
1: just that it's... It's so important because of their reach that they be responsible with their commentary. Like, yes, yeah. obviously, they are not... Uh, scientists they are not people whose word we should take as gospel about literally anything other than the sport that they play and even then it's probably a little contentious Mm. that That being said they have a massive reach and a massive platform and basically saying no i'm not going to take it because screw you is not helpful for anybody
0: Mm, It's especially unhelpful when they genuinely do think that they've got a reason to be speaking up on the topic as well, because he said, I've done my own research, which, unless he's doing double-blind testing at a university with actual professionals, doesn't mean anything. That means I googled it whilst on the toilet, let's face it. My favourite part of the whole thing was when he said, I'm a critical thinker, which... No, you're just a dick not following guidelines. It's like teenagers who aren't going to do something just because the man in the suit tells them to do it. Hey, I'm not going to listen to you. Except the thing is, is that the man in the suit is significantly more qualified to talk about what he's talking about than you are. And just doing the opposite doesn't make you a critical thinker. It makes you a jerk.
1: Yeah, and like... (sighs) I don't know because he he had some excuse about oh you know like i'm not i'm I'm allergic to some of the ingredients that are in the uh pfizer and moderna vaccines was left the j and j one um but the thing is it's hard to take that seriously as an excuse when you lied about it yeah and you know apart from all this which is stupid or whatever what is so telling to me i think is that the nfl said nothing Mm. they knew that he had the status they did not reprimand him when he violated their own protocols by appearing unmasked in front of press yeah they did not take action when he very clearly violated their own protocols you know they allowed his endorsements to go through, and it just it goes to show that the NFL really is two leagues, right? One of the superstars who actually make money for the NFL, in which case we will uh, very kindly allow them to do all sorts of terrible things, unless they really screw up. Mm. In the case of Henry Ruggs, uh, in which case we'll just let them do the thing. Otherwise, we will fight tooth and nail to make sure that they avoid any accountability for their actions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's worth mentioning he actually talks about having an allergy, but. Uh, someone pointed out on Twitter this week... Uh, I don't know his first name, but his last name's v- Vacciano. I think he's an NFL journalist. Ralph, I think. Yeah, maybe. He said, Aaron Rodgers is flat out lying. If he had an allergy to the vaccine, the NFL would have granted his request for a medical exemption. And also, he, he further sort of... I think he make proves that he's not being genuine by A, starting off with that cancel culture mob thing. But B, he then says... You know, I'm looking at becoming a dad as well, and so that was really worrying to me, which is going back to the anti-vaxxer nonsense that the vaccine affects fertility, which it just doesn't. There's nothing to suggest that. It's just somebody randomly said it one day, and now a lot of people believe it because that's how apparently humans act, which doesn't make any sense, but it just shows I don't think he believes anything he's saying. He's just being a bit of a dick.
1: Well, yeah, and and beyond that, even if there was a change in function somehow of the mRNA vaccine on fertility, it's been nine months since the vaccine's been available now. Mm.
0: We would have noticed. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that came out, he also said that he'd spoken to some of the NFL doctors about COVID. The NFL have come out and said that he has not spoken to any of our doctors or medical advisors even the ones offered to him they they offered the chance for all players to speak to a qualified doctor to voice their concerns and ask any questions they want and they would sit there and patiently answer Rogers didn't do any of that my favourite part as well is that he said that he presented his research to the NFL and they looked it at him as if he was a quack I wonder why Funny. Funny that they would do that, Aaron. Maybe we want to think about that a little. I mean, come on. It's just absolutely ridiculous. He also said he didn't believe in any of the things that the NFL were pushing through when it comes to vaccine regulation. But it doesn't matter. He's a union member. In fact, he's one of the leading members of the NFLPA. And they accepted it. So, shh. and it's so so to use the word of uh, words of Rich Eisen it's profoundly disappointing and by the way if Rich Eisen says he's profoundly disappointed with you that is like the harshest criticism that he will give anyone he likes everyone and everything he's so upbeat and positive unless he's talking about New York Jets but apart from that He's like the absolute consummate professional who who will give everyone a chance to speak, and even he's going. This is nonsense. When you've peed him off, that's fantastic. Yeah. No,
1: it's 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 a very interesting move.
0: Yeah, his his reputation has gone so far down the drain because usually when something like this happens, it's from somebody we expect. But Aaron Rodgers before this week, to those of us who don't really pay too close attention to him we all sit there and we think well yeah he seems really educated he seems smart he hosts a Jeopardy not a great year for Jeopardy guest hosts considering the number of scandals they've all been involved in but he he always had that really high reputation that's all gone in one weekend that's phenomenal one week that's phenomenal it's like he's doing this on purpose yeah just speed running yeah, I, I will say though, he
1: may have seemed smart because he was in football. Mm. Not to say that there are not smart people in football. There aren't, and not to say that football players are dumb. They're not. By and by large, they're all intelligent, relatively normal people. It is also a league of people who smash each other, uh, smash into each other on a weekly basis, and regularly incur head injuries. Yeah. And I will say that a lot of these people did not exactly come from environments which were uh, conducive to academic flourishing. Mm.
0: But they've all If I can tiptoe degrees. around the
1: issue. Yeah, they don't <laughs> uh, let's, let's see what those college degrees are. I want to see how many communications degrees there are. Because there will be a lot, frankly. Yes, Josh Dobbs um, was a
0: meaningful degree. And that might be it.
1: Yeah. Uh, I believe Justin Herbert has a biology degree.
0: How does he? Oh, I yeah. can do it. I love him.
1: Yeah, see, I, I, see I really Justin do. See, Justin
0: coming out with this... I really hope not. Yeah. i tell you who you genuinely wouldn't see coming out with this though. Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan has been a consummate professional. The Falcons, you might remember, were the first team who were 100% vaccinated in the NFL. And he did a big thing where he sat down with a medical professional on, I think it went up on YouTube, it was a big video, where he sat down with a doctor and went through all of the questions people had for for anyone who was hesitant, I think it was people sending in questions and they answered them. And that that's what leadership looks like, and more importantly, that's what intelligence looks like. Matt Ryan's nailed it, Aaron Rogers has gone the exact other way. I bet it turns out he's JFK Junior. To <laughs> to tie it into another baby. Oh. Let's let's
1: maybe not. I don't know what monetization looks like on Spotify or even if we never qualify but let's let's try to avoid that we're not we're not gonna make money Um, off this yeah that that is fair um but yeah this it has been a pretty wild. yeah it's it's been a pretty wild time um right now for the nfl and yeah this is just disappointing and i i did check just to issue a mild correction uh Justin Herbert graduated from Oregon with a bachelor's degree in general science.
0: Ah, that's, that's different. Which
1: sounds something, Anything I guess. Anything that's got
0: general in it, I don't think is a... Yeah. I love him, though. I love him. I always will. He's... he, he Well, maybe not always. We're just... It's a weird time at the moment. But... Final thing, I, I really would, if I had the opportunity, <laughs> I, I would love to ask him, do you think that repeated blows to the head has an effect on the intelligence of NFL players? <laughs> he'd love it, he'd love that question. Moving on to another person who didn't display his intelligence, uh, Damon Arnett, it's been a weird couple of weeks for the Raiders. And as Derek Carr was probably waking up this morning, going, "It's another weekend, time to go out and perform and do the best for the Raiders," he would have gone on. Hey, we got a
1: two-up game against the Giants coming up.
0: Oof. <laughs> he would have he would have gone onto Twitter and seen the video of Damon Arnett waving a gun around, saying he was going to kill someone. Great. I just, I love how in the actual dimension
1: where the Raiders are doing well, outside nonsense causes them to lose.
0: Yeah. I, it, it's it's just, in like, you, you can't win. <laughs> mm. And by the way, it's worth mentioning now that, that, that their two first round picks in 2020 were Damon Arnett and Henry Ruggs. Fun times absolutely fantastic and it's not he's not even the first cornerback selected in the first round of the 2020 draft to be in trouble because jeff gladney who was selected by the vikings is also in legal trouble what is going on (laughs) i genuinely think that 2020
1: was such a repressed year for controversy in the nfl Mm.
0: that the plug came off and now it's just wild. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, this shouldn't need to be said, but, you know, I'm going to say it anyway, because it seems like some people out there are unaware do not post a video online in which you wave a gun around and threaten to kill someone. If <laughs> this shouldn't have to be told to you.
1: Pro, pro tip.
0: Pro tip right there. The the thing is, as well, is that I thought it was a live stream at first, but it seems like it was actually just a video, which means he recorded it, then went on to the app that he wanted to put it on, and then uploaded the video to the app, and then had had the chance uh, at many moments to go, wait, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? And didn't. And went, yep, upload that, let everyone see it. Well, and also it's worth mentioning as well that Damon Arnett is involved in a lawsuit over Hit and Run as well. Because, you know, the Raider went... Fun times. Apparently. Final thing to mention then from the world of BS craziness that's made up a, a very weird few weeks in the NFL. Odell Beckham Jr. has now been released by the Browns. We mentioned last week that he didn't exactly have the best time in the game against the Steelers and then his dad posted a video of Baker missing him on targets and then Baker's wife started having a go and it's all sort of imploded and Kevin Stefanski at the start of the week said that we're asking him to stay away from the facility and now he's being caught Of the point of recording. We don't know if he's cleared waivers or not because this is being recorded very early but... It's been such a strange sort of relationship between Beckham and the Browns. It, it looked like, and he chose to go there, but it looks like he just never never fit in at all. Yeah, no,
1: he'd always had these uh, seeming chemistry issues with Baker, yeah. so it, it just seems unfortunate.
0: I mean, it's the right thing to do from the Browns. It's not like they're struggling on the wide receiver front outside of that because they've found some really good like low-end wide receivers from nowhere but i i don't i don't get how it's sort of falling apart but at least the browns have done the right thing who do you think he ends up with and why is it the giants Now i'm joking
1: i know um it would almost have to be i don't know like the rams or someone yeah oh, God. like they'd take it they're loading up, like, they, they are ride or die right now, and Odell is basically at the absolute bottom. Because, like, they don't need him to be a long-term, stable piece of their team. They need to win a Super Bowl. Otherwise, the promises they made to a bunch of people start to come too, and it's not worth it anymore. You
0: see, uh, what's the GM called? Is it, it's not Brett Feech, Kansas. Sneed. Les Sneed, yeah. Les Sneed apparently got a present from his kids. It was like a mug that said, "Well, was draft picks." Hmm. <laughs> I love it, but uh, yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, and I know it's not gonna happen, but they're first in the waiver wire. I just want him to go to the lines and see what happens.
1: Oh lord!
0: <laughs> oh my god, that'd be fantastic. You you know it's bad when the when the best moment of your team season. Is pranking, I guess, a worker on your broadcast team by having him announce that he's in the Ring of Honor. That was lovely. That was so wholesome. But that's have the best thing. That's the best thing they've had all all year. So great. Anyway, we'll probably go into the week nine games now, so thanks for coming on.
1: Always happy to be here.
0: Brilliant. So before we go into the week nine games, we actually recorded that piece last Saturday, and since then, Aaron Rodgers did go back onto the Pat McAfee show to apologise. Except he didn't apologise. He issued one of them classic non-apologies, which was the standard: "I'm sorry if you misunderstood what I was saying," which is not an apology because he's placing the blame on the other person. He's placing the blame on us, the people reading or listening to his comments and going, the reason I was mocked by everyone last week wasn't because of what I said, but it was because you lot misunderstood it. That doesn't qualify as an apology. And I don't think in the slightest that he was being sincere. And it's so frustrating because yet again, it's another NFL star thinking he's an expert On medicine, then seeing everyone laugh at him for thinking he's an expert on medicine, and then going, oh well it's actually your fault that you're laughing at me. Unbelievable, typical as well, and just disappointing for a person who I, as well as many other people, used to respect. Emphasis on used to. Another story we mentioned there, Odell Beckham being released by the Browns. He has since signed with the Los Angeles Rams. He wanted to go to a contender. He made that perfectly clear. And by going to the Rams, he signed with a contender. They've been playing phenomenally so far this season, for the most part. Anyway, we'll get on to their game, obviously, in week nine in a bit. But they have been playing really well, and he will be able to further bolster that already good receiving core. In other wide receiver news, Sean Jackson signing with the Las Vegas Raiders, which is an interesting move too. And speaking of the Raiders, John Gruden is suing the NFL. Great. Now, this is an awkward situation for us fans because I kind of compare this to the European Super League in soccer, where it's important to acknowledge that there are no good sides in this matter. John Gruden said very horrific, bad, offensive things, and absolutely should have been fired as a result. However, the NFL have also clearly been hiding more information when it comes to the Washington football team investigation and their unwillingness to release that information shows a lot about Dan Snyder and about the impact that Dan Snyder has on the NFL and how negative it is. So, on the one hand, you've got this really awful human being trying to sort of get some revenge, but he's trying to get that revenge against a company who are not handling a very serious investigation well in the slightest, who are frankly employing some very scummy tactics. And I am of the opinion that the only reason that the NFL released these emails from Gruden wasn't because they felt like it was morally right, because they had some moral imperative to do so but because John Gruden had irked them in some way and this was their way of retaliating and sending a message to other people going, if you screw with us, if you criticise us, if you attack us, we'll release your emails too. And that is truly scummy. So there are no good sides to this argument. There are no good people. There are no victors. It is truly just depressing to look at. Anyway, we can now finally go on to the week nine games. And despite that there was only 15 points in this game, I feel like it's the only place we can start. We knew eventually that a lock record would fall and it happened to be this week. Unfortunately, I have to play the clip. The five and two Buffalo Bills taking on the one and six Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, I'm locking Bills. Obviously, I'm locking Bills. That's quite an easy sort of prediction. Yeah, Buffalo Bills 6, Jacksonville Jaguars 9. Not only did I get this incorrect by locking the Buffalo Bills, all of us locked the Buffalo Bills, Josh and Will as well. It's only the second time ever that we've all locked to the same side. Obviously, the first time was a couple of weeks ago for the Chiefs against Washington and that nearly went wrong as well, but this time it did go wrong. The Buffalo Bills only putting up six points against the Jacksonville Jaguars and losing, obviously. Let that sink in. If you need to pause the podcast, you know, go away, reflect on the nature of this, then I more than understand this is truly, truly weird. I think we all agree that the Jacksonville Jaguars aren't the best defense in the NFL and yet they held Josh Allen and one of the best offenses in the league in the Buffalo Bills to six points and all of those six points came in the opening 19 minutes of the game. After that the Buffalo Bills were essentially useless and didn't do anything at all and of course The main part of this game, apart from the fact that the Bills actually lost to the Jaguars, the main part of this game that's worth talking about is the Josh Allen trifecta, because for the first time since the two players were drafted, the defensive end for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Josh Allen, was going to be going up against the quarterback of the Bills, Josh Allen. And not only did Josh Allen sack Josh Allen, the Jaguars defender sacking the Buffalo quarterback, but he then also intercepted Josh Allen, so Josh Allen intercepted Josh Allen, and Josh Allen also recovered a Josh Allen fumble. It was the trifecta, it was the perfect game, and he was the star of that Jacksonville defense. He's absolutely phenomenal, and he did it against his namesake. For the first time since sacks have been recorded in the NFL, there has been a player sacked by a player with the same name, and I'm going to assume that it's incredibly rare if not the first time ever that a player has recovered another player's fumble with the same name or intercepted someone with the same name it was absolutely fantastic so obviously that's what we all focused on for most of this game but then we focused on the fact that hang on the Bills could actually lose here to the Jags and to be honest their defense clearly played perfectly well they held the Jags to nine points Trevor Lawrence only had a pass rating of 69 And yet, the Bills' offence just looked so frazzled and shaky and terrible that you never really had any optimism that they were going to get back into the game and win. There was a a few points where they got close to field goal range, but then they just completely stalled. This was an absolutely ridiculously bad performance for the Buffalo Bills, and considering that for some people they entered this game as Super Bowl favourites, or at least favourites in the AFC to get to the Super Bowl. This is beyond disappointing. I expect the Bills to bounce back from this. But Jesus Christ, this is one of the worst losses a team has had in the NFL this season. And for the Jags, well they only put up nine points. But a win is a win and it's their second win of the season. That's twice as many as they got last year. And whilst you can have problems with their offence... Bear in mind that they were coming up against, who are ranked as the number one defense in the NFL, the Buffalo Bills, ranked number one, and they only conceded six points to one of the best offenses in the NFL. So yeah, a great day for Jacksonville, a real upset for them, and like I said last time, they won maybe the building blocks of something, well definitely better, in Duval. The Buffalo Bills are 5 and 3, their first in the AFC East. The Jacksonville Jaguars are 2 and 6. They're third in the AFC South. Minnesota Vikings 31. Baltimore Ravens 34 after overtime. And once again, the wonderful boot of Justin Tucker giving the Ravens a victory. Where would they be without him? Well, they'd probably be what four and four, as opposed to six and two. Because Justin Tucker once again kicked a game-winning field goal here. In fact, he might have kicked more game-winning field goals and I've just forgotten. Because A, obviously special teams aren't that important to me. But B, Justin Tucker just does it all the time. It's not a surprise when Justin Tucker does this. And it's also, of course, not a surprise when Lamar Jackson runs, and runs really well. 21 carries, 120 yards in the game. He didn't do as well throwing the football, and maybe that's why the Ravens didn't put up even more points. 27-41, 266 yards, 3 touchdowns, 2 interceptions, a pass rating of 88.1. So, Jackson, once again, relied on his legs in this game. That's not really a surprise. He is a good quarterback, but sometimes he's not the best quarterback in the league based on pure throwing ability, and I don't think anyone would say that, but sometimes he does have bad games throwing the ball, and it's nice in those games that he he can use his legs. And he also had the advantage of having other runners as well who played relatively well. Devonta Freeman, 79 yards off 13 carries. Le'Veon Bell, 48 yards off 11 carries. So the whole Baltimore ground game did play really well. And so did the Vikings ground game in all fairness. Because obviously their main rusher, Dalvin Cook, also performed really well. Well, 110 yards off 17 carries. Weirdly, he still got fewer rushing touchdowns than Kirk Cousins, who got one rushing touchdown, which was from his only attempt. I'm guessing I didn't see it, because obviously I was watching Red Zone, as opposed to watching one of the games, and I don't remember seeing the Cousins touchdown, but I'm guessing... Because it was one yard, it was like either a quarterback sneak or a leap over the top, depending on how athletic Kirk Cousins actually is. But both sides played really well and they both came up against a good side. I think the Vikings are better than their 3-5 and five record would suggest. That's probably like the 8th week or ninth week. I've said that. Now, they've had the bye, haven't they? So... This is probably the eighth week I've said. They're better than their record. But, you know, both sides come up against another good side. Both sides put up a lot of points and still the defences for both of them continue to be somewhat of a concern. But, you know, it's, it's hard to complain and it was a really entertaining game, especially those final few minutes of the fourth quarter and then overtime as well. It can be hard to remember with about four minutes to go in this game, it was 24-all and then the offences really kicked up at the end of the fourth quarter to make it 31-all going into overtime. So, yeah, this was a really enjoyable game. Credit to both sides who I think put in good performances and... When you're going up against that good Vikings offence, it's hard to really complain about the Baltimore defence. And likewise, when you're going up against that really good Baltimore offence, it's hard to complain about the Vikings defence as well. So overall, a really good game. Better than the game in Jacksonville, but the result was definitely less surprising. Even if the Vikings had won, the result would have been less surprising. Even if the score was 120 nil or 120 all, or whatever, it would have probably been less surprising. The Minnesota Vikings are 3-5, they're second in the NFC North. The Baltimore Ravens are 6-2, they're first in the AFC North. Tennessee Titans 28, Los Angeles Rams 16. The Titans are weird. Do you remember when they lost to the Jets? Lost to the Jets, and yet they beat the Rams. Nah, I don't get it either. (laughs) They did play really well as well, at least on defense, obviously holding that. Matt Stafford led Los Angeles Rams' side to 16 points, and Stafford had an absolute stinker of a game. 31-48, 294 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, a passer rating of 71 only. For the most part, the Rams just didn't really get going at all, and of course, the Titans' defense was also there to play its part in getting points on the board. Kevin Bayard getting one of those touchdowns for the Titans, a 24-yard interception returned for a pick six. And that was good because for the most part, the Titans' offense didn't really get going either. Ryan Tannehill, 19 for 27, 143 yards, one touchdown, one interception, a pass rating of 79.7. And obviously, they lost Eric Henry already this season. And it's not like the run game was doing much of that work for them either. to Foreman 29 yards, Jeremy McNichols, 24 yards, Adrian Peterson 21 yards. Did get a touchdown though, Adrian Peterson, so you know, good for him. But yeah, the Titans on the day themselves, their offense only got 194 yards and yet still managed to put up 21 points so this was a massive win for the Titans defense. Obviously this was on the Sunday Night Football so I didn't watch the game and to be honest I've not really been wanting to watch it anyway even with the extended time to do this podcast. I would assume that the Titans defense kept putting the offense in really good field position from the get-go and that's how they racked up 21 points. The Rams had 347 yards so they were much better on offence, well, at least based on the arts, but still, they just were dreadful. I don't think this will be a long-term problem for the Rams, obviously not, and the Titans' defence are finally starting to show the ability to play well against the big sides. Remember, last year, they were one of the worst defences to ever make the playoffs since the merger. So... This is a big step forward for the Tennessee Titans. Fingers crossed for them that they continue to be as good. And for the Rams, this is probably just a blip. The Tennessee Titans are 7-2. They're first in the AFC South. The Los Angeles Rams are 7-2. They're second in the NFC West. Chicago Bears 27. Pittsburgh Steelers 29. And I need to sort of make sure that I don't start shouting. Because... This game was really annoying, and you might be thinking that's a bit weird because I'm a Steelers fan, but obviously there was one moment in this game that really is actually the only moment that's worth talking about. The Bears entered the fourth quarter down 20-6, to and almost completed an historic comeback. That would have given them a lot of momentum, obviously, going forward, but... They were stopped, and part of the reason they were stopped was because of a taunting call that turned a Steelers fourth down into a first down. It was given against Cassius Marsh, and the reason was either because he looked towards the Steelers bench, I know, shocking, awful, if he looks towards the Steelers bench, maybe Impressionable Children will also start to look towards benches, and we can't have that, or because in the act of turning, he accidentally moved his, we'll say, behind towards the referee. And that was apparently taunting, given by established, long-time NFL referee, Tony Carente. I cannot for the life of me understand what about that was taunting. I've watched it Many times, and the more times you watch it, the more frustrated you get with the idea that it was a taunting penalty. We have seen, obviously, the NFL this year have been cracking down on taunting. And it's been getting a lot of negative responses. This was by far the worst taunting call of the season. It was completely unexplainable. It was ridiculous. And I don't get how an NFL referee so experienced gives a call like that. Chris Sims on Pro Football Talk made a good point, and I'm pretty sure he was talking about Corrente when he said that when he was the Buccaneers quarterback, he had a run-in, I think it was, with Corrente, and he swore at him or whatever. And later on in the game, Corrente started the game coming out of an ad break without informing Sims that he was going to do it, and he just blew the whistle and the play clock started. And it's convention in the NFL that you'd the quarterback when the play clock is going to be restarting so that they're in position They have their play called. And Sims went up to him and said, why didn't you tell me that the play was going to start? And he said, well, you're going to apologise for what you said earlier. And it's a good reminder that we expect officials in the NFL to be exactly the same as the NFL expect players to be after a touchdown, completely robotic and emotionless. We expect them to not bring their emotions into the game not bring their loyalties into the game not bring their perceptions of players into the game and to just judge what they see purely on the basis of the NFL rule book and that is to me not what happened in this game on monday night corrente did what he did because marsh had angered him in some way whatever way it was it doesn't actually matter because corrente isn't meant to hold a grudge like that it was truly shocking to see and to the Steelers fans by the way on the Steelers subreddit who said oh no it was a correct call no no this is not how this works if we I cannot sit here and say I expect NFL referees to be unbiased and then come on here and go oh no that was a correct call because I'm a Steelers fan it went against the Bears it was for the Steelers so therefore I agree with it it was clearly a bad call If it had been given against the Steelers, the subreddit would have been up in arms about it, rightfully so, and yet because it was for the Steelers, they're going, oh no, it was fine, it's fine. That's not how being unbiased works, and it really frustrated me to see that as well. Now, the NFL could have corrected this, obviously, they had the chance to review what had happened and speak to Carente and go, no, no, that's not how taunting works, and... Fix it and go. It was the wrong call, and we apologise to the Bears and Cassius March because it was a defining moment. If it hadn't have been given, the Steelers would have had to punt back to the Bears, and of course they only won by two points in the end. And that drive, instead of ending in a punt, ended with Chris Boswell kicking a field goal for three points. So that was the difference in the game between the Bears winning and the Bears losing. Instead, what happened is that the NFL doubled down. And this shouldn't be surprising from a league that has been ran just so brilliantly this year. On and off the field, they doubled down and they decided to give Marsh a final somewhere in the region of $14,000. I don't know what to say anymore. The analysts were against it. The pundits were against it. The presenters of shows were against it. Everyone you speak to was against it and pointed it out and went, this was a bad call. And yet the NFL went, no, 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 it was fine. I get the cracking down on taunting, but at this point it's become truly ridiculous. This wasn't taunting, it wasn't close to taunting. The fact that it's been given sets a really worrying precedent for the rest of the season. And we've complained about taunting penalties already. They could be about to get a whole lot worse. And for me, as a Steelers fan who saw my side win their fourth game in a row, playing really well, this completely ruined the entire game for me. To the point where I haven't written any other notes about this game because no other part of this game should be remembered. This game should be remembered purely for the absolute farce that was the officiating and the absolute farce that was the NFL's response to the bad officiating. There's nothing else to say. I'm really, really worried about how taunting is going to affect this season or how, sorry, I should say rulings on taunting is going to affect this NFL season because it's not going to affect it in a positive way at all. It is beyond me that the NFL did not decide to overturn this sort of inept decision making. There was one good thing related to the Steelers this week and that was when Mike Tomlin was asked about whether he would be interested in the vacant job at USC. And he'd been linked because Carlson Palmer, the former Bengals quarterback, had referenced him on a podcast he was on or interview he was doing on a TV show or whatever. So Tomlin was asked about the USC job, whether he would be interested in in taking it, and you probably by now know that Tomlin has a way with words, and he responded to it, this rumour, this question, in really the only way he could. He was very, very strong. He said, quote, I don't have time for that speculation, that's a joke to me, I've got one of the best jobs in all of professional sports, why would I have any interest in coaching college football? Never say never, but Never. There's not a booster with a big enough blank check. So, he was incredibly strong and that was just music to my ears as as a Steelers fan. Why he would want to leave the Steelers, a uh, really stable, well-run organisation that he's been at for so long, to go to USC, to go to college, is truly beyond me. So, hearing that response, it was half hilarious and half brilliant and... <laughs> Never say never, but never is another great phrase to add to the book of Tomlinisms that I want to use as many times as humanly possible. And I did see some people online going, oh, I can't believe he'd say that. That, That's disrespectful to USC. Shut up. He's at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Why would he want to go to USC? Jesus Christ. The Chicago Bears are 3-6, They're third in the NFC North. The Pittsburgh Steelers are 5-3, They're second in the AFC North. Cleveland Browns 41, Cincinnati Bengals 16. The Bengals entered this game with a better record than the Cleveland Browns and you would not know that if you had actually watched the game. The game for the Bengals started going south, of course, when Denzel Ward had that ninety-nine-yard interception return for a touchdown. And after that, it didn't really get any better at any point. Baker Mayfield had a great game: fourteen for twenty-one, two hundred and eighteen yards, two touchdowns, a pass rating of one hundred and thirty-two point six. Nick Chubb had a great game: one hundred and thirty-seven yards off fourteen carries. That's just remarkable. And Donovan Peoples-Jones, the real standout wide receiver for the Browns at points through this season and last season. Again, having a good game, 86 yards through the air. Everything in this game pretty much went right for the Cleveland Browns. Meanwhile, the Cincinnati Bengals had the exact opposite experience. Joe Burrow, only a 69 passer rating. Joe Mixon was the one redeeming factor for the Cincinnati Bengals. He had 64 yards on the ground, and it countered for 13 of Cincinnati's 16 points, well, 12, and then the PAT on one of the kicks was worth another one. But, for the most part, this was a shockingly bad performance from Cincinnati Bengals. Obviously, one result doesn't define a season, and this is a side that's still clearly turning the corner after a few rough seasons, but against your big Ohio rival... With a team that is five and 5-3 and, you know, started off the season really strong. To then losing this style to, to, again, your biggest rival in the Cleveland Browns. It's really, really not good. And many questions have to be asked about why the game went this way. And what needs to be fixed as a response. For the Cleveland Browns, this is a really uplifting performance. Obviously, they lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers last week. And there was a lot that went on after that game that wasn't really positive. And people fighting and shouting with each other. And so, to get this convincing win against their Ohio rival, really promising for them. They've got the Patriots next week. So, let's see if they can further continue to build a and show that they are as good as their side from last year, if not better. Then again, their side did go 11-5 and last season. So... While well, they can only lose one more game throughout the entire season to end with the same number of losses, still one more game remember, so there's that. The Cleveland Browns are 5-4, they're 3rd in the AFC North. The Cincinnati Bengals are 5-4, and four. they're 4th in the AFC North. Denver Broncos 30, Dallas Cowboys 16, and hands up if you saw this one coming. Yeah, there shouldn't be any hands up. Obviously, we know that the Denver defense is quite good this year and that Vic Fongio really knows how to shut down opposition offenses. But the extent to which he shut down this Dallas offense was truly surprising. That Prescott having a really bad game 19 for 39, 232 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, a pass rating of 73.9. Far worse than Teddy Bridgewater, of all people 19 for 28. 249 yards, one touchdown, a pass rating of 107.6. Still for me, the main person to talk about on that Bronco was offense and the guy who's really going to have to do a lot if the Broncos are going to continue to improve, Javonte Williams, their second round pick this year, he had 111 yards on the ground from 17 carries. And of course, With Teddy Bridgewater not being the best quarterback in the league, the run game is going to be vital for the Broncos if they want to really impress in the second half of this season. And so getting Williams to perform will be vital alongside, of course, Malvin Gordon as well, who had 80 yards on the ground in this game. But yeah, Javante Williams, he really stood out to me. He really impressed. And he was a massive reason behind the Broncos winning this game. Obviously, the defense keeping that strong Cowboys offense to only 16 points Not really letting anyone do anything truly impressive was the main part of this game. And of course, it feels like more than anything else that in most games this year, if the Broncos win, they're going to win because of how good their defence is. But still, a lot of praise needs to be given to that offence. It does feel like they've improved as the season has gone on. How much you think they've improved, I'll leave up to you. But there are reasons to be optimistic. For the Cowboys, I'm still waiting for a really signature big win this season and I haven't had it yet and I'm not therefore overly optimistic about the Cowboys yet. You'll see that I, I've i noticed that I place the Cowboys lower in my power rankings than other people place them in their power rankings and it's performances like this for a part of the reason. I know the Broncos defense is really good but still the Cowboys went 30 nil down in this game against the Broncos so it wasn't just a failure of their offense against that good defense. It was also the fact that they allowed the Broncos to get 30 nil up before they even so much as mounted a comeback. And, of course, they didn't really mount a comeback. All of their points came in garbage time because they were 30 nil down to the Broncos. And with how much money is in that offense and how talented that offense and highly rated that offense is, they should be doing better against the Denver Broncos, to be honest. Still... Give credit to Denver. It was an impressive performance. The Denver Broncos are 5-4, their third in the AFC West. The Dallas Cowboys are 6-2, their first in the NFC East. Arizona Cardinals 31, San Francisco 49ers 17. And, of course, the Cardinals lost last week to the Packers, and this was a great way to bounce back. The 49ers are meant to have a good defense. Uh, the 49ers are meant to be a good side in general, but they're 3-5, and five and not only are they three and five, but they were completely destroyed in this game by what mostly is the backups of the Cardinals. No Kyler Murray, no DeAndre Hopkins. They were starting Colt McCoy at quarterback and yet they still completely dominated and credit to McCoy because he played really well. 22 for 26, 249 yards, one touchdown, a pass rating of 119.4. You can say that the 49ers had a bad game as much as you want, but at some point, them stats are so impressive that you have to give a lot of credit to Colt McCoy. He managed this game. In fact, he did more than manage the game. He didn't. It's not like a normal back quarterback where he comes in, he just has to not screw things up. He actually threw it a lot and was really successful doing so. And of course, the other person who deserves a lot of credit on the Cardinals for this win was James Connor, the running back. He played phenomenally as well. 96 yards off 21 carries. He had two touchdowns as well. James Conner has been really impressive for the Cardinals this season and a lot of credit needs to go to him. And obviously, as a Steelers fan, a lot of support as well because he is an absolutely wonderful guy. So yeah, well done to the Cardinals. I I know that a lot of people are going to look at this game very negatively for the San Francisco 49ers, but honestly, I just think the Cardinals were that good that... The 49ers didn't really have a chance. Garoppolo played well. He had a passer rating of 100.6. But I don't know how they were going to stop the Cardinals. I was just really impressed with them. They're now 8-1. And playing with their backups. And of course, we don't know when Kyler Murray is going to come back. So Colt McCoy could be the starter for quite a while. And I'm I'm concerned. Obviously, I'm concerned. Because Kyler Murray was an MVP candidate. I'm probably the best quarterback in the league through the first few weeks of the season. But mccoy's playing perfectly well at the moment so there's not much to complain about i still think the cardinals problems and injuries and all are still one of the better sides in the nfc and that they should still be able to challenge for the number one seed of course that depends when kyle murray going to come back hopefully sooner rather than later but still i think there are quite a few reasons to be optimistic about the arizona cardinals and this game proves it. The defence also stepped up as well. So, credit to all parts of the Cardinals game. They, they were phenomenal. I was really surprised with how this game went for them. The Arizona Cardinals are 8-1, their first in the NFC West. The San Francisco 49ers are 3-5, their third in the NFC West. Las Vegas Raiders 16, New York Giants 23. Really impressive win for the G-Men. And for this, I hand over to Giants fan Will. Well, a win is a win is a win, and the
1: Giants finally won again over the reeling Las Vegas Raiders. I have to say, it's not exactly encouraging that two of the Giants' this, uh, wins this year were against teams who had recently, who had either been on a downskid like the Carolina Panthers, or a team which had suffered uh, just an incredible amount of controversy and issues over the past few weeks like the Las Vegas Raiders. Not only losing their coach, John Gruden, in a season where they seemed to be headed for a very successful second half, but also their star wide receiver, Henry Ruggs. Uh, after a car crash on his end. Nonetheless, a win is a win. And the Giants here, I have an, a worry in that I think the Giants won in a way that they want to win. A defensive win where the offense does enough, limits its mistakes, and tries uh, not to have any severe issues, but also does not exactly look to produce great numbers. This case we saw a good game out of Xavier McKinney. We saw a good game out of the majority of the defense. Uh just a very productive game from them. Not only getting a pick six but also, you know, picking off Derek Carr in crucial situations, not letting them score points in the red zone. Uh you know, a, a failed field goal that really I think helped to to swing this game, but all of the issues uh on the offense that we have identified, a poor o-line uh, after we lost Thomas. Um just an incredibly uh, lackluster offense and an inability to produce productive, um, pr- produce anything in the red zone. Honestly, we just we suck at scoring points, and I mean this is an issue that cannot continue. You no, know? no matter how much I think Judge would really like to see this continue, I just it can't. Jason Garrett needs to go, or his offense needs to become more modernized. And I just I really worry that this win gives them hope that they can continue in this vein we are three and six we are not a good football team a lot of our wins excepting the one against the saints which was still super weird have been against teams that are either on a downswing or rapidly skidding out this is not a point where we say oh yes we had some injuries but you know the core of this team is good i mean for crying out loud we are maxed out near the cap and in a situation where we are three and six You know, you can talk all you want about, oh, like, if just a couple things had gone differently, we'd be, like, five and four, you know, uh, six and three right now. But I I I just—I don't—like, that doesn't matter. Those games were still lost because of a multitude of decisions that went on in them, you know? And I think arguing the counterfactual is forever going to be futile because you are the team that your score says you are. And, you know— Obviously, you can't just take numbers alone. You have to look at the quality of the opponents face. And we are heading in to the easier half of our schedule. But we should have beaten the Broncos. We should have beaten the Falcons. We didn't. And that really worries me, you know? We have, we should have been the Chiefs, in all honesty. They were a really bad defense, and we failed again to provide productive offensive numbers. And it's just, at this point, it's something that, like, the NFL is an offensive-focused league, and it just, it does not behoove one to trust overmuch on a defense when you should be playing the game the NFL wants you to play, which is a high-powered, high-flying offense. And that's all I have to say about that.
0: Yeah, thanks, Well. The Las Vegas Raiders are 5-3, their first in the AFC West. The New York Giants are 3-6, their third in the NFC East. Los Angeles Chargers 27, Philadelphia Eagles 24, and we've talked about the Chargers kicking woes through a lot of this season, so it's nice to see that they've actually finally got a kicker, Dustin Hopkins, who used to play for Washington, kicking the game-winning field goal in the closing seconds of this game to get the Chargers a win. If I remember correctly, Nick Sirianni still hasn't won a home game at Lincoln Financial Field yet. So, you know, great. That's great. Justin Herbert. I mean, what what more can, can be said about him? He's he's just wonderful. 32 for 38, 356 yards, two touchdowns, a pass rating of 123.2. He had a phenomenal game and they pretty much rode his arm to victory. Though give credit to Jalen Hurts, who did have a really good game now. Granted, the Eagles obviously rely more on the run than they do on the pass, but Hurts was very effective when he stepped back to throw. 11 for 17, 162 yards, one touchdown, a passer rating of 115.3. They utilised his legs as well, 62 yards off 10 carries, Jordan Howard got 71 yards, Boston's got 40 yards, that's sort of their big three running back by committee I guess, though obviously Hurts is a quarterback, and the Eagles kept it close against a side who I have a lot of faith in and a lot of optimism in, so yeah, fair result for the Eagles, losing by three to a really good Chargers side in my opinion is actually really good, so credit to them. And of course, it took that last second field goal to separate them. Also, a lot of credit for the Eagles needs to go to Devonta Smith, who has really been playing quite well. Recently, 116 yards through the air. For me right now, you can't complain about how he's been playing. I know there were a lot of doubts about his weight when he came into the league, but he's making it work. And yeah, credit to him. I thought Devonta Smith would be the second wide receiver taken off the board. I think he ended up being the fourth. Maybe the third. I can't remember off the top of my head. But Devonta Smith, for me, has been playing phenomenally. Credit to him. And credit to the Chargers, obviously, for winning this game. Keenan Allen, by the way, 104 yards receiving. He was the best one for the Chargers. The Los Angeles Chargers are 5-3. and three. They're second in the AFC West. The Philadelphia Eagles are 3-6, They're second in the NFC East. Atlanta Falcons, 27, New Orleans Saints, 25. Another game that finished with a last-second field goal, this one coming from Yung Ku Koo, to win the game for the Falcons. Unless I've got a really bad memory, this is Arthur Smith's first Saints-Falcons game, and he came out with the win. Obviously, this isn't a full-strength Saints side. Trevor Simeon had a reasonable game, taking 41 attempt, throwing the ball 41 times, getting a pass rating of 94.5 when he's your... God, is it, what is he? Is he the second string or is he the third string? I honestly don't know. But, you know, it's hard to complain, especially because he's not been playing in the league a lot recently. I can't remember the last time he played before this stint with the Saints, but still, did he play for the Jets for a bit? That might be his last sort of experience in the league. But anyway... He did lose a fumble and obviously that might have been, you might view that as very costly. But still, it's hard to complain about him. I'm sure Saints fans will because they lost to the Falcons and nothing is worse for them. Matt Ryan had a good game, surprisingly better than Trevor Simeon, I know, right? 23 for 30, 343 yards, two touchdowns, pass rating 135.8. He played really well and of course, Cordaro Patterson took on his wide receiver role. This week, some weeks he's uh, running back over weeks he's a wide receiver. This time, 126 yards through the air. Played phenomenally well. And to be honest, both sides did play quite well. The Falcons just getting the win in the end because Matt Ryan executed that really good late drive. The Saints took the lead 25-24 with about a minute to go. That's when Simeon had thrown a touchdown to Kenny Stills. Kenny Stills plays for the Saints. I honestly didn't know that. (laughs) Or if I did know it, I'd forgotten it. But they gave the ball back to the Falcons with 61 seconds remaining on the Atlanta 25. And Matt Ryan had to do something. He threw a pass immediately to Cordell Patterson for 64 yards. And that eventually gave the Falcons the win. Credit to Matt Vine for making that clutch throw. Credit to Cordell Patterson for grabbing that clutch throw. Really good entity for the game for the Falcons. And it's one that will give them a lot of confidence for the rest of the season. The Atlanta Falcons are 4-4, four and four, they're 3rd in the NFC South. The New Orleans Saints are 5-3, and three, they're 2nd in the NFC South. Green Bay Packers 7, Kansas City Chiefs 13, obviously no Aaron Rodgers in this game for the reasons we have already mentioned. And that meant Jordan Love was starting at quarterback for the Green Bay Packers and this game was bad. This game was bad through its entirety. There was nothing likeable about it. It sucked in every way and... Jordan Love obviously struggled in his first NFL start, 19-34, 190 yards, one touchdown, one interception, a pass rating of 69.5. But the thing is, Patrick Mahomes wasn't much better. 20-37, for 37, 166 yards, one touchdown, a pass rating of 74.8. So this game just really lacked in offense all round, and it was miserable, and even the Packers' seven points only came in the fourth quarter, so I mean, kind of, sort of, maybe gave you small hopes of a comeback. It was late on, it was about with like, what, five minutes to go. Maybe that gave you some small hope that the Packers would be able to come back, but really, this game just wasn't interesting at any point in the slightest, and doesn't really deserve to be remembered. The only really interesting thing that came from this game was watching Jordan Love's, I think it was mother and girlfriend, sat up in the gods. If you're an NFL starting quarterback, you get the best seats in the house for your family. If you're a backup quarterback, you apparently get the worst seats in the house. At least they're all there for his first game though, so, you know, there's that. The Green Bay Packers are 7-2, and their first in the NFC North. The Kansas City Chiefs are 5-4, and four, their fourth in the AFC West. Houston Texans nine Miami Dolphins seventeen and this might have been the first tank bowl of the year. Obviously, both sides entering with a one and seven record. Both sides having previously won their only game of the season in week one, but it was the Dolphins who just about prevailed. Obviously, still not a great game. Remember that we thought at the start of the year that the Dolphins were going to be playoff contenders, and they have not been that. And they only just about beat the Texans by eight points. Jacob Bissett, for what it's worth, did have a better game than Tyler Taylor. did 64.5 passer rating as opposed to Taylor's 42.8. Taylor throwing three interceptions. And the turnover battle in this game, by the way, four turnovers for Houston, five for Miami. So, you know, it was a really high quality game. We've talked about in the past this Miami defense being good. And they're meant to be good, but they weren't... They haven't been this season, and I would argue that conceding nine points to the Texans doesn't really say a lot about your defence more than it says about their offence. Overall in the game, by the way, the Texans had 272 yards, the Dolphins had 262 yards, so it was it was a really bad game all round, to be honest, and try as you might, you're going to struggle to find a player who really stood out and played well, and even when you do, of course, it comes with a caveat that they were playing either the Texans or the Dolphins. I would argue that the player of the game was probably Jalen Waddell. And that's good because he's had a relatively rough start to his NFL career. And he was meant to be Miami's big wide receiver prospect. And he he's started slowly. But this game was good with the caveat that it was against the Houston Texans and not the best defense. He did get 83 yards receiving. So, top on both teams overall. And it would be nice to see him find his feet in the league. Obviously, Miami spent their sixth overall pick on him. So, fingers crossed for him. But honestly, this wasn't a good game at all. This probably was one of the worst games of the season in terms of overall quality. So, you know, great. The Houston Texans are one and eight; they're fourth in the AFC South. The Miami Dolphins are two and seven; they're fourth in the AFC East. New England Patriots twenty-four, Carolina Panthers six. And even with Sam Darnold getting Christian McCaffrey back in this game, it didn't really mean much for the Panthers. In the end, Darnold had a bad game—a twenty-six point three passer rating. And Christian McCaffrey coming back from injury, you know he's not going to be 100%, but even not 100% for him is actually quite good. 52 rushing yards, 54 receiving yards, so once again, showing what sort of player he is. And yeah, the, th- the issue is, Darnold obviously isn't the best quarterback, he's got a lot of issues to work through, and when he's going up against Bill Belichick and a improving Patriots defense, then what hope does he really have? Mac Jones didn't play much better Than him to be honest 12 for 18 only 139 yards one touchdown one interception a pass rating of 85.2 And the Patriots only put up 17 points on offense seven of their points Came from a I believe a pick six it might have been a no it was a pick six yeah It obviously wasn't a very interesting game and it went the way we all would have expected it to Last week the Patriots now have won three on the bounce obviously At the start of the year, they had only been able to beat the Houston Texans and New York Jets, but two wins now against the Chargers and Panthers, who are definitely better sides, show that the Patriots are actually getting stronger as the season goes on, which honestly isn't really that surprising. It's Bill Belichick. I mean, he's not going to struggle for that long, is he? The New England Patriots are 5-4, they're 2nd in the AFC East. The Carolina Panthers are 4-5, they're 4th in the NFC South. Okay, final game then, and it was the Thursday Night Football. New York Jets 30, Indianapolis Colts 45. And this is why Jets fans aren't allowed to be optimistic ever. Mike White had a really good game last week, came out, was looking really strong in this game too. 7 11 95 yards, 1 touchdown. Oh my God, even though they've got Zach Wilson, they have found a franchise-starting quality quarterback injured. And laugh so you don't cry for them, because Jesus Christ, when it rains, it pours, and it has been absolutely torrential rain for years now in New York. I'm surprised MetLife Stadium isn't now underwater. <laughs> I honestly don't know what to say. It just feels like this happens all the time to the Jets. For what it's worth, Josh Johnson came in and played really well. 27-41, 317 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, a pass rating of 103.4. And you get the sense that if White had played the entire game, the outcome probably wouldn't have been different. And the reason the outcome probably wouldn't have been different was because of Jonathan Taylor, who did play phenomenally, 172 yards off 19 carries. Carson Wentz, by the way, was the best quarterback of the day. And bearing in mind that the other two quarterbacks had a passer rating of 103 and 121. That's actually really impressive. 22 for 30, 272 yards, three touchdowns, A passer rating of 134.3. That might be the best total this week. I don't know if I've already read out one that was better, but that might be the best of this week. I'm not sure but either way when Wentz and Taylor are operating well together then I think it really does help Carson and there's clearly still a good quarterback in there at points you can see why he was an MVP candidate in 2017 but it just it, it isn't regular enough and I want to see it more often and of course it's worth mentioning that while the Jets have been improving on all facets of their game particularly defense this still isn't the best defense in the league, and so how how much you want to put on this performance of Carson Wentz and go, yeah, he's back and he's working in Indy. I I wouldn't put too much, but either way, the Colts did deserve to win this game. It was actually a really good game. There were over a thousand yards total, so that's actually quite impressive. And it's disappointing, obviously, because Mike White. Got injured and I think it would have been really interesting to see how he would have been able to do if he'd stayed in the game. And it could have been a closer score, but I think the Colts still probably would have won. So this is actually one that's worth going back and watching, to be honest. Maybe don't watch the entire game if you've got that option on Game Pass. But, you know, the 40 minutes might be quite entertaining to watch back. It'll be a good way to spend a bit of your day. Let's face it, this game didn't really deserve last in the running order, but because it was on Thursday, with all, everyone else already talked about it And Actually, it's over a week ago now, so great. The New York Jets are 2-6, they're third in the AFC East. The Indianapolis Colts are 4-5, they're second in the AFC South. Okay, time to go on to prediction scores then. I won this week. I had a record of 9-5. and five. Will went eight and six. Josh went seven and seven. So, overall, I'm in the lead with a record of 93 and 43. Will second, 82 and 54. Josh third, 73 and 63. I mentioned earlier that we all were incorrect with our locks because we all locked the bills over the Jaguars. That means I'm eight and one. Will is eight and one. And Josh is seven and one. So... Let's go into the power rankings, which you can now read on the Sports Blitz website. At the halfway stage, I'm keeping the Arizona Cardinals in first place. Obviously, didn't have Kyler Murray, didn't have DeAndre Hopkins, didn't have JJ Watt, didn't mention that earlier. And yet, they still were very comfortable in victory against the San Francisco 49ers, with Colt McCoy and James Conner in particular playing really impressively. Second, the Tennessee Titans. They're obviously missing Derrick Henry, and they're going to struggle more. Because they don't have Derek Henry. But still a really impressive win against the Rams. And one that shows that the Tennessee defense is actually getting a lot better. Third, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are on a bye this week. Fourth, the Los Angeles Chargers. Obviously a relatively close game against a not great Eagles side. But they did get the win in the end. And it seems like they've sorted out their kicking problems. Which was quite a concern for them. Fifth, the Los Angeles Rams. Just could not cope with the Titans' defence and struggled to really get anything going. Obviously falling from second place last week. 28th for New York Jets. Just when the fans started to get optimistic about Mike White and how he could maybe even duel Zach Wilson for that starting job in the future. Mike White gets injured and everyone feels pain again. For what it's worth, they did actually put up a good performance against the Indianapolis Colts and scored 30 points with their third string quarterback, but it just wasn't meant to be. Twenty-nine for Mary Dolphins, yes they beat the Houston Texans, but I mean it's not like the Texans are a powerhouse. It's not like the Texans are even the Colts. So it's hard to really care that much. I want to see them beat a proper side before they start moving up the rankings. 30th Washington on a bye this week. Thank God we didn't get exposed to more Dan Snyder fun times. 31st, the Houston Texans lost to the Dolphins. Not great. Well, bad, actually. And never really looks that good against them. And 32nd, the Detroit Lions, who were also on a bye, which, you know, is probably the best week of the season the Lions have had. You know, just go out for a walk instead or, you know, find a different way to enjoy Sunday. Maybe watch a competent team instead for a change. and 8 At the halfway stage. And I honestly don't know if it's going to get better anytime soon. Hey, maybe the first 0-17 team. Yay. Happy times. Okay, I'm now going to go through all games bar one in week 10 of the NFL season. I'll be predicting as I go along. And when I come to one team where I think a guaranteed to win. I'm going to lock that team up. I can only do this once per week. Obviously, at point of publication... The Ravens Dolphins game has already been played, and I'll be honest, I tried to for this episode. You'll notice what I said about the Dolphins. I tried to make sure it didn't sound like I knew what the result was, but <laughs> oh dear. We'll talk about that game next week. I will just say it now for sta- for the sake of reference the Dolphins did beat the Ravens 22 10, and maybe that actually gives you optimism for how the rest of the season will go. But we're just going to focus on the games that haven't been played yet. And I'm going to start off with what I think is the best game of the weekend. Kansas City Chiefs at Las Vegas Raiders. By the way, the Texans, Bears, Bengals and Giants are on a bye in week 10. But going back to Chiefs Raiders, the AFC West is absolutely phenomenal at the moment. The Raiders lead it with record 5-3. The Chargers also on 5-3. The Broncos and Chiefs both on 5-4. So this game, obviously going to have real big impacts on the AFC West this season and the Chiefs recently have started to very slightly turn the corner. They've obviously only played the Giants and the Jordan Love Packers but it is two wins and it's two wins that take them from a losing record to a winning record and of course we still have that faith in the Kansas City Chiefs that they will eventually be able to overcome the problems they've been having because they are phenomenal and when your biggest problem is Patrick Mahomes not playing well it feels like that's a problem that can be solved quite easily because Patrick Mahomes is a fantastic quarterback if the Raiders win this of course it will be a real statement of intent from them because it will show that they are actually for real even without Gruden they will be able to fight for the playoffs fight for the AFC West Derek Carr going up against a not great defense in the Kansas City Chiefs and of course Mahomes going up against a middling defense in the Las Vegas Raiders so it really is all to play for in this game and I think it will be really close I'm looking forward to it quite a lot Though, unfortunately, it is on the Sunday Night Football, so I am going to have to record it. Either way, the 5-4 Kansas City Chiefs travel to the 5-3 Las Vegas Raiders. I'm taking a... Hmm. I'm going to go Chiefs. I'm taking a Chiefs win. I still have too much faith in Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes overall, and I think they are going to sort out the problems they've been having. Okay, my second game, the New Orleans Saints at Tennessee Titans... Two teams who are both missing their stars, obviously. Well, stars. The Saints don't have quarterback Jameis Winston, which is a problem for them. It probably means, again, that Trevor Simeon's going to start at quarterback. The Titans obviously missing Derek Henry. And usually I would have said that Simeon would be able to go up against that Titans' defense, but. The Titans' defence did do really well last week and kept Matthew Stafford in check. And, of course, Stafford is a much better quarterback than Simeon is. So, this is going to be really interesting to see how the Saints' offence does against that rebounding Titans' defence. And, meanwhile, Ryan Tannehill didn't have the best of games last week. But, he's going to be going up against a middle-of-the-road Saints defense, he's got to show once again, well I say once again, he's got to show in general that he can operate that Titans offense without Derrick Henry and of course with that in mind, Donte Foreman and Peterson and that other guy who ran for a lot of yards last week, relatively speaking, are going to have to do a lot. What, what was he called? I've already forgotten. I only mentioned him a couple of minutes ago, well, more than a couple of minutes ago, but still. Jeremy McNichols, yeah, he had 24 yards, I don't know why I said that. The running back by committee that Tennessee have implemented needs to get going as well for any real chance of victory. So, two teams who came into the season looking quite good, who are missing very key players to their side, Gonna be interesting to see how they cope with that and who comes out of this game with a more positive feeling. Because if the Saints win, then obviously and, and if Simeon performs, then obviously they'll be feeling quite positive if the Titans win, then he'll show that they can cope without Derrick Henry. The five and three New Orleans Saints travel to the seven and two Tennessee Titans. I'm taking a Titans win. Third game then, Cleveland Browns at New England Patriots. Probably not one I would have picked at the start of the season because I would have thought that the Browns were comfortably the better side, but the Patriots have been improving over the last few weeks. They come into this game with a 5-4 record. The Browns also come into the game with a 5-4 record. And if the Patriots can beat a Browns side who got to the playoffs last year and it will show that they are truly back, it will be their first big real statement win of the year. The Panthers game obviously was impressive, but it wasn't, like, outstanding. And... While well, the opponents weren't outstanding, so a brown a win against the Browns would be really impressive. And of course, it feels so weird to say right that the Patriots come into this game as the underdogs, and the Browns will be expecting to win against the Patriots and Bill Belichick. But that's that's the world we're living in in 2021. I want to see more out of Mac Jones. I want to see more out of that New England defense, as while well. the defense have been playing really well. And I want to see if Baker and that Cleveland offence can keep the good times going after they played so well last week against the Cincinnati Bengals. So obviously, I would say the Patriots probably a better side than Cincinnati. The 5-4 Cleveland Browns travel to the 5-4 New England Patriots. It's a close one for me. I think it's going to be close, but I am going to take a Browns win. Final game to mention then, Minnesota Vikings at Los Angeles Chargers. Obviously, two sides who think they can make the playoffs at the end of the year. The Vikings 3 and 5 for entering this game, so this is really much win territory already. The Chargers five and three, and with the chance to take the lead of the AFC West if results go their way. We know about these offences, both sides have really good offences. I would say it therefore comes down to the defences. Brandon Staley, obviously quite a good defensive coordinator. Mike Zimmer was back in his day as well. And so, I think that's where the battle really is in this game, and which defence can stifle the other side's offence more. I would expect the Chargers to do that, because I think Brandon Staley has a good defensive unit there, and the Vikings' defence have, at points, seemed like more reliability. I don't know. I don't have the defensive stats in front of me. But, either way... When you've got Herbert and Eckler and you've got Jefferson and Cook and so many great players in this game, it should be a good one to watch. The 3-5 and five Minnesota Vikings travel to the 5-3 and three Los Angeles Chargers. I'm taking a Chargers win. Okay, time to go through the rest of the games then in the order that they're in on this website. Starting off with the two and six Jacksonville Jaguars playing the four and five Indianapolis Colts. The Colts played well against the Jets last time out, especially on offense, and I would guess that the Jaguars offense is not going to be as good as the Jets one was last week. I'm going to take a Colts win. The four and five Carolina Panthers traveling to the eight and one Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals and Colt McCoy did really well last week and I know that the Panthers defense is good but I wouldn't expect that to change. I'm going to take a Cardinals win. By the way, completely forgot to mention Cam Newton back with the Panthers. be nice to see him in this game. Just it feels right that he's back in Carolina and looking forward to seeing him sort of reunite with that team and that fan base. But either way, even if Newton... Plays, I'm still gonna take a Cardinals win, obviously. The three and five Atlanta Falcons travelling to the six and two Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, this could be bad. I'm gonna lock Cowboys. I don't see any hope for Atlanta when they go up against a competent team. And the Cowboys are many things, but this year competent is actually one of them at the very least. So yeah, I'm gonna take a lock on the Dallas Cowboys. The 3-6 Philadelphia Eagles travelling to the 5-4 Denver Broncos. This could be a really close game. I want to see Jalen Hurts continue to improve. I want to see that run game be excellent. And I think they've just about got enough to edge the Broncos. I'm going to take an Eagles win only just. And that could flip through the week. The 3-5 and five Seattle Seahawks travelling to the 7-2 and two Green Bay Packers. A lot of speculation that Russell Wilson will be back for this game. We are expecting him to start. Still, I don't see that Seahawks offense with a relatively shaky Wilson being able to go up against the Green Bay offense that is maybe going to be led by Aaron Rodgers. If Right, conditional. If Aaron Rodgers plays, I'm taking a Packers win. If Jordan Love plays... I'm just about going to take a Seahawks win because I'm going to take Russell Wilson injured over Jordan Love operating 100% to be honest. The 5-3 and three Buffalo Bills travelling to the 2-6 and six New York Jets. Yeah, easy enough. I'm going to take a Bills win. I would have locked it normally but Buffalo lost to Jacksonville last week and I don't trust them anymore. They need a really strong performance in this game to show that they can bounce back after what happened. The 0-8 Detroit Lions trolling to the 5-3 and 3. Pittsburgh Steelers. Please don't lose Pittsburgh. Jesus, The worst part is though Mason Rudolph will be starting at quarterback. Mason Rudolph is a really bad quarterback. You know what? I'm such a massive pessimist. But with Mason Rudolph at quarterback against I believe a full strength line side. I am going to take a Lions win. Yeah. Gort says go with the Lions. The 6-2 Tampa Bay Buccaneers travelling to the 2-6 Washington football team. This is another good opportunity for a lock. I'm going to take a Tampa win. And final game to mention, the 7-2 Los Angeles Rams travelling to the 3-5 San Francisco 49ers on the Monday Night Football. I'm going to take a Rams win. By the way, I know that mix of fixtures was a bit weird because I read them out in the order that they appeared on this website and this website did not sort them by when they kick off apparently. I've just noticed that because Tampa, Washington is an early kickoff whereas Seahawks, Packers is a late kickoff and I read that one out way before. Either way, they're my predictions for the rest of the games in week 10. By the way, I did pick Ravens obviously in the first game of the week. Uh... This is going to age horribly if the Steelers lose to the Lions. Here I am going, ha ha, you lost to the Dolphins. Then Steelers go, hold my beer and do worse. Please don't lose, Pittsburgh. But anyway, that's all the time we have on the NFL Blitz today. Thank you for listening. And my thanks go to Will for handing in that piece on the New York Giants. We'll be back next week to talk about all things from week 10 of the NFL season and I will be very miserable doing it if the Steelers lose. Until then, I've been Alex Woodward, and don't just have a good week, but the best play in NFL history, have an immaculate one. Goodbye.